things that can distract a student from his or her studies at the University of Texas. For me, my particular vice in college was basketball. I never never partied. I didn't go crazy or lose my mind. That was just a temptation road. I wasn't tempted to go down. But I loved playing basketball. And I played a lot of basketball when I should have been studying If I were to share with you my GPA, you would go, yeah, Mac, you should have spent more time in the library. I'm not going to do that because it's all under the blood of Christ and we've moved past it. But I remember one night in particular, my sophomore year of college, we were playing ball late at night in a church that a friend of ours had a key to and we had permission to play in and we had been playing a long, long time and we were kind of getting to the end of the game where we were getting to the point where we were going to have trouble walking out of the gym and In this particular game, it kind of came down to where I was guarding my roommate, a guy by the name of Bill Walker. And I'll never forget on one fateful play, Bill caught the ball down low, back to the basket, and I was guarding him between him and the basket. And, And he started to go to his right to make a move on me. And I had the brilliant, instant idea that I was gonna let him go that way and then reach around him and steal the ball, run the length of the court for a tomahawk jam or something like that. And then, so when he made his move, I let him go, and I started to reach around, but alas. Bill's initial move to his right, he intended to be only a head fake because he came back around to his left, raising his leg up to launch kind of a Kareem Abdul-Jabbar skyhook. And when he did, his left knee collided with my chin. And all of a sudden, like Wiley Coyote, I saw stars in the night sky as I crumpled to the gym floor. Literally saw stars. And as I lay there trying to kind of gather my wits, I could hear muffled voices coming from outer space around me as the game came to a screeching halt. And I'll never forget when I opened my eyes, the first face I saw was Bill Walker. And Bill was looking down at me, he goes, uh, hey dude, we're, we're going to need to take you to the hospital. And as I lay there on the floor, I thought, I'm not going to the hospital, man. My ears are ringing a little bit, my chin hurts, my jaw's kind of knocked out of alignment, but I'm not going to the hospital. He goes, no, you're going to the hospital. I can see your chin bone, man. That, we're, we're definitely going to the hospital. He goes, you, you're going to need stitches. And then he uttered the words, I will never forget He goes, hey, just so you know, that's going to leave a mark. (laughs) That's going to leave a mark. Now, interestingly, 30 plus years since that fateful night in Austin, if you look upon my closely shaved chin, you you can find just the bare remnants of the scar created when the doctor sewed that gaping wound up about an hour and a half later. It did, in fact leave a mark now that's gonna leave a mark 
is not only what Bill Walker uttered about the wound that he inflicted on me, by the way, but I believe that that is exactly what God says about that divine gumbo of personality, gifts and talents, strengths and weaknesses that he pours into the soul, into, into the bowl of our soul that, that we call identity. You've got a unique gumbo of personality, gifts and talents, strengths and weaknesses. I have a unique gumbo and it is that unique gumbo, our identity, that God imparts to us when he creates us, that he wants to use for his purposes, for his designs and his desires to actually leave a mark in this world. God has never created a single person to live life passively in this world. We're created, designed by God himself in the image of God to leave a mark, to make a difference with this identity that God has given us. Last week we started this series called You Do You. And we're looking at this divine gift of identity imparted to every single one of us. And to do this, we're kind of tracing the arc of the life of Moses. Moses, who was God's appointed leader for the nation of Israel, who led Israel out of 430 years of Egyptian slavery. Moses, who received the Ten Commandments directly from God himself. Moses, who is unique in all of the Bible for having talked face to face with God himself. And yet, for all of his fame and his renown and, and kind of the household name that he became, you'll remember if you were here last week that when God initially called Moses, he was far from fully formed. As a matter of fact, Moses was absolutely very, 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 very much a work in progress. Remember in Exodus chapter 3 where we first encounter the calling of Moses at the burning bush, God announces to Moses that he's decided Moses is the guy. Moses is the one who will lead Israel out of Egyptian slavery and Moses kind of protests. He, he puts up multiple arguments to God and he goes, well, well, how will Israel know that I'm supposed to follow, that they're supposed to follow me? How, how, how will Pharaoh know to do what I tell him to do? And, and then he starts to list all of the reasons why he should not leave a mark, why he should not fulfill his divine destiny. And I think that this ought to be something that is an encouragement to every single one of us. Because when I talk about leaving a mark, when I talk about influence or leadership, a lot of us disqualify ourselves from the conversation. A lot of people say, well, I'm, I'm not, that's, that's not my personality. I'm not a leader. I'm not, you know, a Vince Lombardi, George Patton, Oprah Winfrey kind of leader. But the reality is you were created for influence. You were created to make a difference. You were created for impact. And every single one of us, everyone has somebody watching us. Everyone has somebody following us. They may be very, very little people, but they are absolutely following. I could make an argument that being a stay-at-home mom or dad may be the most significant leadership role in the world. Yeah, somebody, help me preach. The reality is we were all created with an identity to leave a mark. And to get at this today, we're going to take a look at two 
pivotal moments from the life of Moses that I think give us a template, an example to follow. Because it can be very, very difficult unless you've been taught, unless you've been mentored or discipled to figure out your calling, it can be so overwhelming to think, where do we actually begin? And I think that's one of the reasons that God gives us the Bible. If we go to Scripture, not just out of rote habit, but to to actually figure out how do we live out our lives? How does the gospel, the good news of Jesus, impact and play out in and through our lives, we start to see that it's not as complicated as we might initially assume. As a matter of fact, if you've got your Bible, look in Exodus chapter 4. Exodus chapter 4, if you've got a, and I want to remind you, bring your Bibles on the weekend. We're going to use the Bible. We, we use the Bible. The Bible is God's word, so it's our word. It is a lamp to our feet. It is our hope. And so The Bible is what we go to. That's where God communicates to us directly and explicitly. And and so I want to encourage you to bring it. Yes, we put the verses on the screen, but that's that's usually for first-time guests who don't have a Bible or don't bring one. Bring your Bible on the weekend. This is who we are and is what we do. But in Exodus chapter 4, Moses is kind of continuing this divine argument with God. God has said, you're the guy. And Moses is going, I don't think so. God says, no, you're the guy. Moses said, I'd really rather not be. God says, you're the guy. Moses said, I don't talk so good. On and on it went. And finally, in Exodus chapter 4, God has had enough. You you can tell in Exodus chapter 4, in this passage that I'm about to read, God kind of takes off the gloves with Moses and goes, all right, let's dance. Here we go. Look at what he says in verse 2. Then the Lord said to him, what is that in your hand? A staff, he replied. Now, take a time out real quickly. The staff was standard everyday carry. It was EDC for a shepherd. It, it It was what he had to have every day when he went to work. It was just a big stick that he would use to guide and direct the sheep or the goats to keep them on the path that they were going down or to keep them away from rushing water. One of the big dangers for sheep is that they could come too close to rushing rivers and as they drink from the river, the wool can become swollen with the water and they can be sucked into the water and under that weight, as the wool absorbs all the water, they drown. So the shepherd has to have that staff to keep the shepherd, to keep the sheep away from dangers they don't understand. That's why Psalm 23 says to the Lord, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me because it keeps us safe. And the, the staff would also be used to, to beat away predators from the sheep or the goats. So the staff was, like I said, that was huge for a shepherd like Moses. And it was important to him because that was what he used to do his job. But I want you to see, bless you, I want you to see how God then carries the conversation. God says, throw it down. Just let it go. Throw down this everyday carry. Throw down this thing that you rely on. Throw down the thing that is your identity as a shepherd. Throw it down. And so you've got to believe that Moses probably a little reluctantly actually throws the stick down and the bible says when he threw the staff down it became a snake now 
<clears throat> I'm sure in, in a room with this many people in it, some of you are a little skeptical about a staff becoming a snake, and it's kind of, yeah, here we go with the Bible stuff. Listen, I get it, and you're welcome in this place, but I want you to just think with me for a second. If you believe, as we do, that God created everything, that, that he established all of those physical, scientific laws, then it would make sense that he could also suspend those scientific, physical laws. So if you will, just for a moment, suspend your disbelief and go with this, because we're talking about an almighty, all-powerful, all-knowing God. He can pretty much do whatever he wants. So Moses throws the staff down, and it becomes a snake. Moses is like, whoa. Now, at this point, Moses is having a weird day. I want you to remember, when he first saw the burning bush in Exodus chapter 3, he saw flames coming out of a bush, but it wasn't being consumed. There, it was just like, it was like pyrotechnics in the desert. And then he heard the voice of God out of that burning bush, and God told him to take off his shoes because he was standing on holy ground. And then God said, you're going to lead Israel out of Egyptian slavery. It's, it's a weird day for our boy Moses at this point. Now he's thrown down his staff and it becomes a snake. And then, as if that weren't enough, God says, Moses, pick it up by the tail. Now, you don't have to be Jack Hanna from the Columbus Zoo to know you don't handle a snake by the tail. I mean, you, you want to get control of a snake up by the business end of the snake so that that head can't come back on you. But at this point, as I said, Moses has seen the burning bush. His staff's become a snake. God's talking to him. He's doing what God tells him to do. He picks the snake up by the tail, and it turns back into his staff in his hand. I mean, it, this is wild. But God is showing Moses spiritual truth that will have massive, practical application in his life look at what he says in verse 5 he's explaining why he just did what he did he said this said the lord is so that they israel may believe that the lord the god of their fathers the god of abraham the god of isaac and the god of jacob has appeared to you he's saying moses when I call you to leave a mark, when I tell you you're going to make a difference, don't, don't argue with me. Just use what you've got right now. Use what you've got. Use what you've got. You see, a lot of times when we feel the, the nudging of God, when we begin to feel maybe the Holy Spirit leading us in a certain direction to make a difference, to leave a mark, how many times do we argue with God just like Moses did? Like, well, I, yeah, I don't know. That's not really my deal. I'm not, you know, I'm not a missionary. I didn't go to seminary. You know, I know people do mobile loaves and fishes and they actually enjoy it. God, that's just not me. I'm keeping it real. I'm just trying to be authentic. God says, no, no, no. Just, just use what you've got right now. Use, use what you've got. And just do the next right thing. Use what you got. Moses had a stick. Moses had a stick. But that would become the same stick that would strike fear 
in the heart of Pharaoh, the most powerful person on the planet in that day. The most powerful person on the planet. It was that stick that Moses raised up and the plagues descended on Egypt. It was that stick, the staff that Moses raised up and the Red Sea parted and four million Israelites walked across it on dry ground. It was that stick that Moses used as he shepherded and led Israel through 40 years of wilderness wanderings, preparing spiritually and physically and militarily to inherit and inhabit and battle for the promised land that God had promised to Abraham. There was a lot going on in that stick because God was at work. And so when you think about where do I begin to leave my mark? How do I start? Use what you've got. Use what you've got. Let me ask you a question. How many of you right now at this moment are married? Let me just see a show of hands. Okay, cool, awesome. Put your hands down. On this next question, do not raise your hand. Don't raise your hand. Don't roll your eyes, elbow the person you're sitting next to, especially if you're married to them. I'm just going to ask a rhetorical question with no response. Of those who just raised their hand, how many of you know that marriage can be hard, dadgum work sometimes? Thank you for not raising your hands. Now, what if, what if, instead of hoping that he changes, instead of wishing and praying that she would become sweeter, what if, you began to look at your spouse in those challenging moments and times and said, God, what do you want to teach me through her? God, what can I learn about your personality and your character that I need through him? Because that's one of the primary things God wants to do in marriage is to continue the process of what the Bible calls sanctification, being made more like Jesus through our spouse. And so instead of looking at the spouse sometimes as a challenge, look at the spouse as an opportunity. Use what you've got as an opportunity to leave a mark, to love her the way God wants her to be loved, to, to love him and lift him up the way God wants him to be loved and, and lifted up and honored. and Just use what you've got. Use what you've got where you are. That's what God is showing Moses. That's, that's where we learn and begin this journey of leaving our mark, of fulfilling our God-given destiny that he planted into our identity. Use what you've got. Now, the second episode from Moses' life that we're going to look at today occurs a little later in the Exodus narrative. It, it comes after Israel has left Egypt. They haven't yet gotten to Mount Sinai where the Ten Commandments are given. They haven't yet gotten to the Promised Land where they're on the way to, but they are in process. They are on the way. And in Exodus chapter 18, Moses has a family reunion of sorts. Remember, his father-in-law, Jethro, was the one he was working for. 
It, it was the only place he could get a job on the planet. He had killed a person in Egypt, had left as a fugitive from justice, and ended up working for his father-in-law. The Bible says on the backside of the desert. Now, if you've got a job in a desert, that's hard labor. But if you've got a job on the backside of the desert, that's the bottom of the professional barrel. But in Exodus 18, Jethro brings Moses' family back to him, and they have this family reunion. The Bible says they have a massive meal and a feast to celebrate the reunion. And, and then it's kind of time for Moses to, to let his father-in-law see kind of what he's made of himself. He, it's, it's time for the father-in-law to kind of say, hey, this isn't just somebody that needed a job and I had to make sure that my daughter and grandchildren were fed. Moses is actually doing something with his life finally. And the Bible says that Moses used to, every morning when they had camped, Moses would sit as judge over every little dispute, little, big, medium, and in between, every dispute of these four million people wandering through the wilderness, Moses would decide the outcome. He was the judge for all four million people people and so he took it was kind of like take your father-in-law to work day and he takes Jethro there to see what he does and Moses begins sitting from early in the morning until late at night and the people just stand around waiting to talk to Moses now there were times when Emily and Joseph were growing up in our household where two kids exhausted me you know what I'm saying where they go Mama, mama, dad, 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 Emily, da, 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 Joseph, da, da. and then as a father sometimes you're just like hey Figure it out. Y'all go handle it yourselves. Daddy's busy. Have you heard of Sports Center? So y'all go figure this thing out, and I'm not, I'm not messing with y'all right now. Can you imagine doing that for four million people? One guy deciding every single case. Moses Abraham's donkey was drinking out of our water trough. I'll figure it out. I mean, on and on and on it went. And Jethro, witnessing this, asks Moses, tell me, tell me kind of what, what's going on here. I'm watching, but help me to understand this. And you've got to imagine, put yourself in Moses' sandals for just a second. There, there has to be a little bit of, of, just a little, he's human. There's got to be some pride in this. There's got to be something that goes, well, every single disagreement or legal proceeding I'm the guy. They come see me. I tell them what God wants them to do. They go do it, and everybody's happy. No brag, just fact. I'm the guy. I know you have a lot of goats and, and sheep, father-in-law, dad, but this is four million people we're talking about. Jethro kind of takes it in for a second, and then look at how Jethro responds. Verse 17. This is Exodus chapter 18. Moses' father-in-law replied, what you're doing is not good. Ooh, thanks, Dad. You and these people who come to you will only wear yourselves out. The work is too heavy for you. You cannot handle it alone. Real quickly, I want you to turn to the person sitting next to you and tell them, you can't do this alone. Okay, now say it like you really mean it to them. Tell them, tell them, this is kind of fun because we're, we're about to get some relief up in here. Tell them again like you mean it. You can't do this alone. You can't do 
The work is too heavy for you. You can't handle it alone. There's a spiritual law embedded in that statement. God will never call you to do something in a vacuum. He will never gift you and call you and equip you to do something by yourself. It is always to be done in the context of community, in the context of relationship. God himself is relational. There's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. There's three in one and one in three. The Trinity is a miracle. Anybody tells you that they fully understand that, run for the hills. It just is. But God is relational. He created you and me for a relationship. So it makes sense and it follows that whatever he calls us to, whatever mark he has gifted us to leave in this world, it will happen in the context of community. You can't do it alone. You cannot do it alone. He continues, verse 19. This is fascinating. He says, listen now to me and I will give you some advice. And may God be with you you must be the people's representative before God and bring their disputes to him teach them his decrees and instructions and show them the way they are to live and how they are to behave he says listen I, I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna kind of offer you some course correction here there, this is advice because the route you're going is not sustainable he said now you are the leader of these people. You are the point man for this movement of God. But you've got to rethink your role. You've got to rethink your role. And what he's telling him is, you've got to guide who you've got. You use what you've got, but guide who you've got. You see, when we think about leaving our mark in the world, we've got to understand that God absolutely desires us to guide people, to lead people, to influence people, to mentor people. Jesus' last words on this earth, go and make disciples of all nations. That's all our jobs. All of us are called to make disciples. Every single one of you who's in this room and you've got one of those really cool red LHC kids shirts on, yes, right, you're making disciples. Now, some of you may be making disciples by changing diapers, but what you're doing is you're teaching those kids at the earliest age, they want to be a part of this tribe. They want to be in this environment. This is a safe place. And as they discover that in children's ministry, they come up through middle school and it's like all of the, the, the junk, all of the backbiting, all of the gossiping, all of the striving, all of the ladder climbing of middle school and high school, that's there, but this is a safe place. This is the tribe I want to be a part of above every other one. You're guiding who you've got. You're showing them how to roll. And that's the job. You want to leave a mark? You show people what the gospel looks like lived out every single day. 
You go into the marketplace this week. The month is coming to a close, or maybe the quarter is about to end, and the numbers look like you're not going to hit them, and you've got an opportunity to show people this is how we work and strive to do the best job that we can and how we respond when things don't go our way. You're guiding those you've got. I'm not adding something to, do, to your to-do list. What we're talking about is just doing what you're already doing with more gospel intentionality to understand your role and your responsibility to leave a mark. This is what we get to do. It's what God has created us for. It's what he's called us to. Guide those you've got. But Jethro's not done with our boy Mo. He says, now, verse 21, select capable men from all the people, men who fear God, trustworthy men who hate dishonest gain, and appoint them as officials over thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. Have them serve as judges for the people at all times, but have them bring every difficult case to you. The simple cases, they can decide themselves. That'll make your load lighter because they will share it with you. And if you do this and God so commands, you will be able to stand the strain and all these people will go home satisfied. Jethro's talking here about the fine biblical art of delegation, of delegating what God has called you to. What he's saying is, yes, absolutely. We start over here, we, we use what we've got, we guide those we've got, and don't ever forget, share what you do. Share what you do. I remember when Emily and Joseph were very, very young. They were about five and, and three years old, respectively, maybe six and four. And I remember saying to Julie one day, I said, you know what, it'd be awesome if we would teach them how to empty the dishwasher. I hate to empty the dishwasher. For some reason, I don't mind to load it, but emptying the dishwasher is, is just, it's one of those chores from Satan. I don't like it. And, and I realize that children are a gift from God, and you can call them a, a gift from God, slave labor, whatever you want to call them. But I thought, let's teach the kids how to enter the dishwasher. And Julie said something so brilliant, so insightful. She said, you know what? If they're old enough to walk, they're old enough to work. Ding, ding, ding. That became a mantra in our household, man. Now, here's the thing. When they were really, really young, it took a lot longer for them to empty the dishwasher. It did. And they didn't put the forks in the right slot, so we didn't feed them for a week. But they learned. Don't send me an email. I'm teasing. But, but, they, but they learned. How to, we, we shared what we do. We, we bring people along for the ride. This is, this is a biblical thing. But look at what Jethro said to him. He said, select capable men, people who fear God, people who hate dishonest gain. You see, what, what, what Jethro is pointing out here is that it's easy to appoint people over thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. That's a, that's a layup compared to the hard work of discernment, of discerning integrity, discerning loyalty, discerning honesty discerning faithfulness those are the people you give more responsibility to but in order to do that you have to start with the prayer for wisdom the prayer for wisdom and say god give me your wisdom give me your discernment your god-given common sense 
which is so uncommon in assigning work and sharing what I'm doing. But as you share what you do with the right people, all of a sudden you see your work multiplied. It's better to equip a hundred men than to do the work of a hundred men. You share what you do and all of a sudden the mark multiplies and expands and it moves beyond what you can do or what I can do. And people take their God-given identity and creativity and insight and wisdom and take it in directions we never could have imagined. But I want you to notice there's one little moment that I think is so important in this exchange between Moses and his father-in-law. Check this out. Verses 24 and 27. This is important. Moses listened to his father-in-law and did everything he said. Then Moses sent his father-in-law on his way and Jethro returned to his own country. I love that. So there's incredible maturity, incredible humility in Moses to take this advice. Men, I mean, let's be honest. If your father-in-law shows up and starts telling you how to parent, how to be a better husband, how to be a better leader in the marketplace, that's kind of tough to take, wouldn't it be? But Moses took it and he listened and he did everything that Jethro had said. He discerned that this was advice and counsel coming from God through a human being, but it was from God. And so he did it. But then he sent him on his way. He said, Jethro, thank you so much. Don't let the door hit you. Travel safely. Godspeed, father-in-law. It's kind of that, that fish rule. You know, fish, after three days, kind of starts to stink. That's sometimes how family can be also. He's like, Jethro, scoot along. Because Moses knew that though Jethro had given him godly counsel, this wasn't Jethro's job. Moses still had the responsibility that God had given to him to leave a mark. Moses still was in that role. And what he's saying here is you, you got to own what you do. you got to own what you do. I love what Herm Edwards, former NFL coach and ESPN analyst, tell, used to tell his players, sign your name to it. Sign your name to it, son. You do something, sign your name to it. I love Herm Edwards. But you got to own what you do. Just own it. Take responsibility for your influence, your leadership. God's given you an identity to make a difference and leave a mark. To leave a mark. Now, Moses lived about 1,400 years before Jesus. But Moses was instrumental in God's redemptive work in the narrative that God was weaving taking not only Israel but literally the entire world to a point where it was time where it was ready for Jesus Israel God's chosen people Israel is the vehicle that God chose to use to deliver his amazing grace to this world and it was in Jesus in this relationship with God that our identity reaches its full, full expression. Because without Jesus, we remain remote and distant from God. But in Christ, 
we are brought near to God again. Our relationship with God that's ruptured by our sin is actually reconciled and repaired in Jesus. And so when that relationship gets right, our identity then has the room and the freedom to bloom and flower like God intends it to do. And this is the message of the gospel. Moses was a piece of that story and an incredible example that we can learn from. But remember, all roads lead to the cross. All roads take us to what Jesus did on the cross and in his resurrection on our behalf. And so I want to ask you just for a moment, if you will, bow your heads. And though we've been talking about identity and influence, I want to just ask you to consider for a moment, have you stepped into that relationship with Jesus? Have you owned your responsibility for sin? The sin that ruptures our relationship with God. Because Jesus' death on the cross and resurrection is the cure. It is the solution to that problem. If you're here today and you've never stepped into that relationship, we want to invite you to do that. Just to pray right where you're sitting, a prayer of commitment. It's a prayer of response. Because the Bible's clear, we can't do anything to earn forgiveness, to earn salvation or God's favor. It's a gift that's already been extended by Jesus. We just respond to his grace initiative. Admitting our sin, claiming his forgiveness, and committing our lives to him. If you're here today and you've never done that, we want to give you the opportunity to do it right now. Just right where you're sitting, just to pray that prayer of beginning, that prayer of commitment to him. Just silently in your own words, just right where you are, something like this, just say, Silently, just say, Jesus, I need you. I know I need you. And I give you my life. Jesus, I entrust to you the identity that you gave to me when you made me. I confess my sin. I claim your forgiveness. And I will follow you from this moment forward with everything I have. Jesus, I pray this prayer in your name. I want to ask you just to remain with your heads bowed and your eyes closed for a brief moment. Because it's a holy moment. And if that was your prayer and you meant it for the first time in your life, you meant it. I 
want to make sure you understand this is the most important moment of your life. It's a once and for all moment. You don't have to pray that prayer again to make sure that it took or sticks. If you meant it, God heard it. And you are His forever. And so, if that was your prayers, our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed. I want you to know that as a church, we want to help in this new relationship that you just stepped into. We want to come alongside you. And so before you leave today, if you would just fill out the connect card that's inside your program, name and contact information that of course we always keep, you know, internally, but just indicate there on the card, there's a space for you to say, I'm committing my life to Christ this week. And then you can tear that off at the perforation, which is right there on the fold. And before you leave today, just hand that to one of our hosts or ushers or to someone underneath the blue tent outside under the front porch. Just hand it to them. Just say, hey, today was my day. Just a brief, brief personal connection. Because connection is what the church is. It's a connection with God and a connection with each other lived out and then if you would just as our heads are bowed for another moment if you would just if that was your prayer today and you meant it would you just raise your hand high over your head just lift up your hand for a moment and as you lift up your hand you're you're stamping this moment in your life reminding yourself this is real and it happened as well as in the life of this church because there is nothing more important to us than this moment in your life It's a moment that we pray for. It's a moment that we work for. It's a moment that we give for. It's why we exist. And so we celebrate it. We honor that moment in your life. And as you put your hands down, we put our hands together to tell you, welcome home. Welcome home.